Well, it's great to see all of you today. And if you would, uh, please take out your Bibles and turn in them to Psalm 103, which should be in the middle of your Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you. You can grab that Bible and turn to page 436, and you will be at Psalm 103. Now, growing up, I always had 2020 vision. Always crystal clear vision. And then at the age of 45, I began to have this sensation as I was driving down the highway that I couldn't quite read the signs as clearly as I used to be able to. I was thinking, they're making them smaller or something, or not as crisply painted as they used to be. Um, well, what ended up happening is my wife encouraged me to go and have an eye appointment. And when I went to that eye appointment, I had found out that Mr. 2020 was now nearsighted. So that means that things in the distance were getting a little bit fuzzy. But I'd also noticed at 45, it was getting a little more difficult to read. And so when I went to the doctor, he said, you need bifocals. I said, you, I've never had glasses in my life, and you're telling me I need bifocals. And so I said, no, I'm not doing that. So for more than a decade now, I have had several pairs of glasses. I have had glasses for driving, and of course I've had reading glasses if I'm reading through a book. But I've always been able to preach just fine without having to wear glasses. But in the last year, that's been changing. And I've noticed with the notes that I have that I've had to enlarge the quotes and I've been noticing also that uh, some of the times when I'm reading from the Bible, it was getting a little bit hard to see. So, my optometrist is Adam Gerkink, and so I had another New Year's eye exam with him. And this morning is the first debut of my bifocals that I now need to have in order to function, yeah. And you're saying, well, that's cute, but is the preaching going to be better? Uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll leave that up to you to figure out if that's really the case. Um, but, you know, it's really interesting. I was thinking about that, about how in, in my own personal life and in my spiritual life, I've not always had 20-20 vision, spiritually speaking. Uh, there have been times in the spiritual realm that I have been short-sighted. There have been times when I have lost my focus. There's been times more numerous than I would like to admit when I've had my eyes more on the circumstances rather than on God's sovereignty. And a lot of times my orientation has been more towards my will rather than God's will. And we are beginning a new year. And when you begin a new year, it's an excellent time to reorient to reorganize, to refocus, to reevaluate ourselves. In other words, I think it's time for a New Year's eye exam where we can check our focus and maybe readjust our focus in life. What we're going to do today is not really a, a regular message where we're taking a single passage of Scripture and working our way through it. It really is more of a reflection more of a biblical perspective that I want to take. 
You know, last week when Mark was up here, I don't know if you were here last week, but he was saying that in a new year, each of us gets 31 million seconds. And I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but you used more than half a million seconds in the past week. And so it's good for us to get some perspective. And my guess is, it's not just me, but that you too at times struggle with being short-sighted. That you too at times can lose your focus in life. And so it would be a value for us to reorient ourselves, to refocus, and to reevaluate. So here's today's plan. Basically, we're going to do two things. Uh, Number one, I want to make two observations about life. Two observations about life. And then secondly, I want to draw three responses that we can get from those observations or maybe just vision reorientations that we ought to have in light of those two observations. So it's a pretty simple plan today, but it's a good thing for us to go through this uh, as we go into a new year. So here's the first observation I have about life. And the first observation about life is that life is fragile. Life is fragile. And if you have your Bible open to Psalm 103, I want you to notice what the psalmist writes there uh, in verses 13 to 15. Verses 13 to 15. Notice he says, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes it. Now, I want to read to you the same verses um, from the New Living Translation, so just listen to them because they'll give you a little maybe different twist on all this. It says this in the New Living Translation, For he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we're only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wild flowers we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. You know, frequently in the Bible, our life is compared to new grass seedlings. You know, little grass seedlings that grow up, and then you have the sun come and bake them, and the wind come, and they just wilt in the sun and the wind. Janet and I have been involved over the last um, year and a half or so with uh, seeding our lawn. We used to have all ryegrass, which is a winter grass, and, and some of the drought killed that off, even though we tried to keep it alive. Then we sodded our lawn with fescue, and it rained and rained and rained and rained and rained and rained, and it drowned the fescue, and so now we've gone to seeding the yard. But one of the things that's interesting about that new seed, when it just, it's so tender, it's just so fragile, the little extra heat. A little hot wind can dry those seedlings out, and they just, they're very easily dried out, and they very easily wither. And that's the picture we see from here and other places in the Bible about our life. Our life is delicate, and life can easily be broken. And there's a number of us here um, 
in this body of believers who in the last year lost a loved one. And we were reminded that life is fragile. We have a number of us in our body who have had to battle a number of medical conditions. Um, Gabe Garfield, one of our, our regular members of our worship team, went down to the Orange Bowl and had a lung collapse. Found himself in ICU. It was supposed to be a fun trip for the bowl game, except for the outcome of it. Um, but, you know, it, he finds himself in a hospital because life is fragile. I don't know if you know John Gray in our body, but he has been battling a medical condition. In fact, he's had a lot of strange um, medical conditions. I've told John he's on the top of my weird list when it comes to health for somebody. And he's battling um, a mysterious case of amyloidosis right now, very weird disease. And he's reminded that life is fragile. We all know the story, I think, if you've been around Wildwood, of Amy Riggs, uh, four years old, who is battling leukemia. And the most recent email we got about that is the doctor says that in the next 60 days she's going to go into hell, period, in terms of her treatment. Life is very fragile. Many of you perhaps did not know Debbie Hubbard very well. Debbie has been around Wildwood for a number of years and at the age of 53 was battling uh, breast cancer. And her, her fight with that came to an end on New Year's Day. See, life is, life is fragile. I've shared with you briefly about my, my friend, uh, Stu Lindell. Uh, we were virtually the same age. Um, we were friends in my elementary school years, my junior high school years, and into the beginning of my senior high years before my family moved to New Jersey. And Stu and I have been uh, buddies off and on for a long, long time. In fact, we were in the same confirmation class together and uh, we have a picture uh, of that we were 14 and a half years old if you notice uh, Pastor Lindell who's in the dark robe there in the center of the picture well Stu is the one who's leaning into his dad there and then the, the uh, dashingly handsome guy on the left uh, is a picture of myself and um, even though we were the same age, I looked a lot younger than Stu at that time. Uh, actually, I, I, I grew a little bit more after him and actually ended up being taller than him. But we've been, been buddies a long time and talked back and forth, and Stu um, battled multiple myeloma. Now, if you don't know much about multiple myeloma, it's a, it's a pretty rare cancer. Uh, you tend to survive no more than three years with multiple myeloma, and Stu battled that out for nine years. And in fact, I was talking to him in June, actually it was in May, about June, and he was going to undergo a bone marrow transplant and had everything set up for that, and suddenly he got acute leukemia. And then he had to go through several months of treatment for acute leukemia to even get himself to the position where he could undergo a bone marrow transplant, which indeed he did not survive, and he left the planet on the first part of October. 
But life is fragile. Life is fragile. And it's good to be reminded of that. It is a delicate thing. And life can be easily crushed from our body at any time. And it's always interesting how our minds tend to work because we, we, like to, we like to think it's other people that this kind of stuff will happen to. You know, it's other people who are going to battle serious illnesses. It's not going to be me or my family members. It's going to be other people who are going to die, even though intellectually we know that's not true, but emotionally that's what we tend to think. It's not going to be us. It's not going to be our friends. It's, it's not going to be our family that deals with this. I want you to turn a little bit to the right in your Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes because it goes Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter number 9. And in a very real look at life, Solomon has this to say about this whole issue of of death and the fragileness of life. He says in verse 2, it is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, and for the unclean, for the man who offers sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner, and as the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. I mean, everybody's going to experience this thing called death. And then down in verse 12, he says, Moreover, not only is this for all of us, but man does not know his time. Like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Didn't really know that it was coming, but it comes. It's easy to pretend that these truths really don't apply to me, but the reality is that there is a very thin, delicate line between us and eternity. So the very first observation I want to make, it's a pretty simple one, is that that life is fragile, and it's good to remember that so that we're not totally surprised by it. But there's a second observation I want to make about life, and that that is that life is fleeting. It's not only fragile, it is fleeting. And I want you to turn a little bit to now the left of your Bible, past the book of Psalms, to the book of Job. And it's interesting to me how tucked around the book of Psalms, which is really a lot of material about everyday life, and then you have the book of Proverbs, which is the book of wisdom. You have the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a real look at life issues, and then you have the book of Job, which is a real look at life issues. And we have a a reminder of us of how life is fleeting in Job chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. Job says, now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away, they see no good. They slip by like reed boats. 
like an eagle that swoops on its prey. He's basically saying life is fleeting. The days go by swifter than a runner. You know, when a runner who's really running at a full sprint just kind of, if you're standing there, he just goes, ooh, and he's gone. He's saying that's what life can be like. The days, he says, they, they slip by like a reed boat. And we go, what, what's he talking about? Well, um, probably we could translate that a swift skiff. You know, a skiff was sort of a flat-bottomed boat. It was made for speed. And he says, that's what my days are like. They're like this reed boat, this speed, swift skiff that would go by. Uh, we might translate it with modern vernacular, um, like a speed boat. You know what it's like when you're there and a speed boat just goes flashing by with its engines roaring. You know, cutting huge wake. It just, it, there's a lot of speed there. And he says, that's what life is like. Life is fleeting. In fact, in James chapter 4, verse 14, a familiar passage to many of us, it says, your life is like a vapor. It's sort of like a puff of smoke if someone's smoking a cigarette and they blow that smoke out. Or as we are in the middle of winter, if we have a cold enough day and you go out and you see your breath blowing. Um, that's what life is like. It's just like you blow your breath and it's there and it's gone. It's fleeting. It moves along with incredible speed. You know, I look at a picture from when I was 14 and a half. It wasn't that long ago. It really wasn't. When we were answering questions in confirmation class together. You know, in Psalm 9010, uh, as it looks at humanity, it says the days uh, of our life are three score and ten, or 70, uh, but if due to strength, 80. He's basically saying that when you look around at the, the average lifespan of people, you're looking at 70, 80 is an average lifespan that people would have. Now, we know some people live longer than that. But that's probably fairly accurate. And, and, and it's kind of interesting, if you st take a moment and think about it, this is a little similar to thinking about 31 million seconds you'd have in a year, but looking at maybe a lifetime. If, if 70 would be an average lifespan, and, and remember, we had Debbie who, who left at 53, and Stu who left at 57, so... Let's just take 70 as an average lifespan. If you take that, that amounts to 25,567 days. Now here's what's interesting in my case. If I had 25,567 days, when I trusted Christ at the age of 11, I had 21,549 days left. Of course, none of these are guaranteed but just looking at things from an average. When I arrived at seminary, I had 16,985 days left. When I arrived at Wildwood in 1979, I had 15,158 days left. 
Today, as I stand before you, I have 4,382 days left. If I make the average of 70. I have been at Wildwood for 10,776 of the days that might be allotted to me at 7, 70. And by the way, of all the time that I had left when I came here, I've used up 71% of it. So that leaves me with 29% left to go. Men and women, life is fleeting. It is fleeting. It goes by so quickly. Now I want to give you a, another analogy just so you can get a feel for this in your own life. So if we were going to take 70 years and build them around a time period, think of it from 8 a.m. to midnight. So midnight would be when you would die, 8 a.m. would be when you were born, okay? Now, if that is true, if you are 15 years old, it is 11.25 a.m. If you are 25 years old, if you're going to live to midnight, it is 1.42 p.m. If you are 35 years old, it is 4 p.m. If you are 45 years old, it is 6.16 p.m. If you are 55 years old, it is 8.34 p.m. And if you are 65 years old, it is 10.51 p.m., with midnight being the chiming hour. Now, I understand some of us get extra grace from God, and some of us are called home earlier, but it just gives you a feel for this. Life is fleeting. It is fleeting. So the two observations we have is that life is fragile and that life is fleeting. Both of them are biblical principles and both of them are reality. They are reality. So the first thing we want to do is make some observations. And those are the observations. Life is fragile and life is is fleeting. But then we want to talk about what do we do? How do we respond to that? Uh, in light of those observations and those biblical realities that life is fragile and life is fleeting, how do we respond? And the first response that we should have is that we should enjoy life. We should enjoy life. Turn with me again back to the book of Ecclesiastes. So we're moving around Psalms and Proverbs back to Ecclesiastes in chapter number 9. Back to Ecclesiastes and chapter number 9. And I want you to notice verses 7 to 9 in Ecclesiastes. Life is fragile. Life is fleeting. So that means we should enjoy life. Notice verse 7. He writes, Go then, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life 
and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Now, he says some very interesting things here. You notice he says in verse 7, Go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a, a cheerful heart. And some might be saying, well, what's he, he's just, is he telling you to go out and party? Is he encouraging debauchery? Just, you know, go out and, and drink and everything. No, that's not what he's saying. Because, you see, in that day, the idea of drinking your wine and eating your bread, those were everyday staples. That's what people did every day. They would drink some wine and they would eat their bread. And what he's basically saying is, enjoy your life. And you notice he goes on to say, God has already approved your works. God has already said, it's okay to enjoy even the everyday staples of life. See, it's not unspiritual to enjoy life. Sometimes we can get that idea that, well, if I'm really going to be spiritual, I don't want to enjoy anything here. No, God really says, enjoy life. And you notice he says in verse 8, let your clothes be white all the time and let not oil be lacking on your head. Um, in Isaiah 61, it talks about the oil of gladness. And what you would do in those days is when you were having a very special day, is that you would put some oil on and you would wear your white clothes. And what's he saying there in verse 8? Let your clothes be white all the time and don't lack for oil on your head. In other words, this is really what he's saying. Every day should be a special day because life is fragile and life is fleeting. Every day should be a special day. Enjoy life. One of my favorite quotes comes from Tim Hansel. He wrote these words. Now think about the way that you function in everyday life as I read this. He says, have we forgotten how special Wednesdays can be? Have we forgotten how different November is when the trees appear in the lean economy of leafless elegance? Have we somehow fallen into the rut where we think that all Mondays are dreary or that February is a difficult month? Are we in the habit of always putting off an experience until the time is right or until we know how to do it? Procrastinating over the joy of being alive is one of the greatest burglars of life. I know. And it's so true. It's so true. How much we just need some perspective on these things. You know, I remember when um, I was told that I had cancer, and it was just interesting how you look at everything very differently. Um, just for example, uh, the fact that the trees were in a certain condition is something that normally I maybe wouldn't have paid any kind of attention to. But, you know, when you're thinking about it, I wonder how much longer I might be around here. Suddenly, you know, you notice some things that are very special and very beautiful. 
we are to enjoy life. Notice he says in verse 9, enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life. He's basically encouraging to enjoy our spouse, to enjoy our family. And isn't it interesting how much we lose focus, we lose sight. We get caught up in being busy. I'm so busy, 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 I'm so busy. We get caught up in stuff. We get caught up with television. Nothing wrong with any of these things, but we need to remember that we should enjoy life. Life is fragile and life is fleeting. In Psalm 118, verse 24, a familiar verse to many of us, it says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The New Living Translation there says, We will rejoice and be glad in it. See, every day, men and women, that we are given is a privilege from God, and we need to rejoice in it. It's a choice that we make. It's a choice that we make. The choice we make to enjoy life. And it is a matter of perspective. I will guarantee you, having been through some concerns about the length of my life, it's all about perspective. It's so interesting when you are facing a serious illness and you just watch people. You watch people getting in an argument over the stupidest things when they're at McDonald's ordering some meal or something and someone gets hacked off that someone else can't make up their mind fast enough. Or you see parents, you know, you're at Target at a store and you see parents very short-tempered with their children. And when you have a perspective that you may not be here very long, you think, that's just so out of whack. <laughs> enjoy your spouse and enjoy your family enjoy life. You know, my buddy Stu spent most of a decade wondering really how, how much longer he was going to be alive. And uh, he was so pleased that God was gracious to him to allow him to live long enough to see his only daughter graduate from high school. But uh, I called Stu every once in a while, and he had an interesting message on his phone. In fact, uh, just as he was, had a relatively small chance of survival in this attempt at a bone marrow transplant, um, I want you to hear Stu's cell phone message that he left on his cell phone and uh, just see the, the emphasis he has. So let's go ahead and just play that little sound bite from Stu. Uh, leave your name and number if you can. I'd be glad to get back with you as soon as possible. And go out and make it a great day. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. What was the core message that he had? Leave your name and number? No. What was his core message? Go out and make it a great day. And it's interesting if you call uh, his home number, which I just did over this weekend as I was trying to talk to his, his wife, Barb, a little bit, same message on the home answering machine. And hi, this is Stu, home with Stu and Barb and Brooke. You know, we can't hear, leave a message. And he says, go out and make it a great day. 
He said, enjoy life. Now, if, if the Lord were to send to, to you or to me an email and say to us, oh, nine will be your last year on the planet. Who would you want to talk to? Who would you want to invest some time with? Who would you want to express love to? Well, you see, we don't really know if all of us are going to be here. Every year we get together at the beginning of a new year, there's always some of us who aren't here. And there will be some of us in all likelihood here who won't be here next year. So enjoy life and enjoy your family and talk to who you need to talk to and spend time with who you need to spend time with and express love to whom you should express love. Life is fragile, life is fleeting. First response I think we ought to have is we should enjoy life. Second response I think we ought to have is that we should serve others. That we should serve others. Turn with me in the New Testament to the book of Titus. The book of Titus. It goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and then you have the book of Titus. So turn with me there. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8. Paul is writing and he says this. This is a trustworthy statement. You know, men and women, you can count on what I'm getting ready to tell you right now. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. He's telling Titus how he ought to teach the people of God so that those who have believed God, that would be including most of us, will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. And then you notice if you let your eyes drop down to verse 14, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. It's a good thing, a profitable thing, a fruitful thing for us to serve other people, especially since life is fragile and life is fleeting. If you turn with me a few more books to the right in your Bible, to 1 Peter chapter 4, Verses 10 and 11. It says in chapter 4, verse 10, as each one, that would include all of us who know Christ personally, has received a special gift, a special ability from God, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks has speaking abilities should do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves has more serving gifts and abilities is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, if life is fragile and life is fleeting, it means that we should serve others. Remember Jesus? He did not come 
to be served, but to serve. And, and so we have that opportunity. And I think the question we need to ask ourselves as we head into a new year and we try to get reoriented is this year going to be a year in which I spend most of my time in a self-serving way, you know, concerned about me, or this year is it going to be more of a year where I am serving other people? It doesn't make any difference how old you are. You have an opportunity to serve inside your family unit. You can serve within the church family. You can serve in the community. But life is fragile and life is fleeting. And we want to be like Jesus and serve other people. So the first response, I believe, since it is very fragile and fleeting, is we need to enjoy life. The second response is that we should serve other people. And then the third response, which even relates a little bit to our plan um, for utilizing the Better Together Marriage Seminar, is to share your hope. See, that's one of the things that's going to happen that weekend is we're going to share our hope. In 1 Peter 1.3, it says that we men and women have been born again to a living hope. And in Colossians 1.23, it talks about the hope of the gospel. And the truth of the matter is, <laughs> the people around us are perishing. They are perishing. Go back with me to Psalm 103. I want, you to, I, want to, I want to journey back to Psalm 103, and I want us to look at some verses. And there are some verses that are going to describe our hope. And I want you, as we look over these verses, I want you to be thinking about, do you know anybody that needs this kind of hope in their life? You know, before when we were in Psalm 103, we looked at verses... 14, 15, and 16, but I want you to notice the verses that precede that. Notice verse 10. Speaking of God, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He has removed our transgressions from us. And then let your, your eyes go down to verse 17. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember His precepts to do them. We have a great hope, and there are people around us who we don't know when that thin line between life and eternity may be broken for them. And we need to share our hope. And it was interesting for me to, to talk to my friend Stu. And uh, I, would, I would just ask him, you know, what's going on and, and, and what's happening in your life? And every single time he would talk about how he was just sharing, in a very, very unoffensive way, his hope. 
You know, he would be interacting with doctors and interacting with nurses and, and interacting with people he knew in, in some of the, the business. He owned some um, properties that he rented uh, housing out to people, and he just constantly was talking about the hope that he had. And um, I know he, he even told me, he told the doctors, because his chances were, were lower going into this attempt at a bone marrow transplant, and they were concerned about that. He said, don't worry about me. I, I know where I'm going to be. I know where my, my eternity's totally been determined by the person of Jesus Christ. But he said, I want to know that you know that too. And that's what we need to do, men and women. We need to share hope with the people around us. Now, you may be here today. I don't know everyone's own spiritual condition, but you may be here today and you don't feel like you have that hope and I just want you to know that that hope has been made available to you through the person of Christ. See, we've got good news for you, and that is that there is a rescuer from sin and judgment, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he gave up his life so that you could be forgiven, and you can have that hope. And even if you didn't have it when you walked in here today, you can have it when you walk out of here today. What I've shared with you isn't really new information. It's just something we need to be checked in with from time to time. You know that 35 centuries ago, kind of awesome to think about, 35 centuries ago, Moses had this prayer to God. Lord, teach me to number my days so that I might present to you a heart of wisdom. As my friend Stu Lindell would say, go out and make it a great year. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for an opportunity to get some of our vision checked. Uh, as we go into a new year, to have a little bit of an eye exam, to make sure that we have clear sight. And I would pray that this would be a great year for us. A great year in which we get to enjoy life, enjoy our family, serve other people, and very, very significantly to share our hope with those around us. May the hope that we have in Christ just bleed out of our pores and help us to realize that while we don't really know how long we'll be here, it could be that this is the last year, and if it were, how much would we want to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ with the people around us? Now, there's just nothing like a word of some testimony to say, you know what, I am so glad that I know Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that I know that I'm forgiven. I'm so glad that my future is secure. I wish you could have that same joy. Lord, I would pray that you would do great things 
in our lives individually and corporately in 2009. And we're going to give you all the glory for all that you do. We thank you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.